0: Here's the deal, you made it through Thanksgiving, then you made it through Black Friday, and you made it through small business Saturday, then you took a break for Sunday worship and NFL football probably in family time. Then Cyber Monday, finally, last Tuesday was called Giving Tuesday. And probably like you, I received several Opportunities to give to various causes. The subject of our message today and our text today is on the subject of money and giving. Merry Christmas. Um, the gospel writers speed through the life of Christ from one event to another very rapidly. One of Mark's most commonly used word is the word immediately. He immediately after that, immediately after that. But when we come to the final week of the life of Christ everything slows down in all four of the gospels. If you think about it, only two of the gospel writers write about the Christmas story. And uh, only f- uh, well if you think about it, f- all four of the gospel writers write about the resurrection of Christ, but they're you want more. They kind of comprise it all into a few pages. But all four of them uh, give us very detailed accounts of the final week of the life of Christ. We're working our way through Mark, the book of Mark, and we're coming to chapter 12, and it's jam-packed with action that took place on just one day in the final week of the life of Christ. When the city of Jerusalem was bustling. People were coming there for the Passover celebration. The enemies of Jesus approached him with many, many hard questions, which he answered with ease to the delight of the crowd. But then right in the middle of all that activity, all that traffic, Jesus took a break. He just took a break and I'm gonna share with you two stories that actually bring us to the end of the public teaching of Jesus. From here on he spends time privately with his disciples. But I want you to be on alert for one of the biggest butts in the Bible that's in here in this reading today, okay? Here we go, Mark chapter 12. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Right after that, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowds putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You can quickly see in these two stories the contrast between the attention-grabbing religious authorities and this anonymous poor widow. And now I throw in this companion passage from Mark chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen I was thinking about these scriptures this week and in my mind, there was this story that I remembered from a Seinfeld show and I I had to kind of go back and dig out the, the dialogue to remember it exactly. But this is how it goes. Remember the stumbling, bumbling character, George Costanza, everyone's favorite. Uh, George made a purchase in a restaurant and just as he went to put a dollar in the tip jar, the worker at the counter turned away and didn't see the tip going into the jar. Totally missed it. And when she turned back, she assumed that George did not give a tip. And so she gave him this dirty look like, you know, thanks for nothing, jerk. And George was telling this story to his friends and he summarized the whole experience by saying, if they don't notice, what's the point? Yeah. And so Jerry responded with this comment. He said, so you don't make it a habit of giving to blind people then, I guess. (laughs) And George answered, well, not paper money. (laughs) (laughs) So as you know, they introduced the theme, the theme carries through the show. And later George made this dramatic attempt to put a dollar into another tip jar at another location. But like before, the, the worker turned away just as the tip was going into the jar. So awkwardly, George George put his hand into the jar to retrieve the dollar so he could put it back in when she was watching. And of course, she turned just in time to see him pulling the dollar out of the tip jar, which eventually caused him to be banned from his favorite calzone place for a month. It all just caved in on his head. But we all identify with George in that story because we would like to be acknowledged in some way or another. Jesus' criticism of the teachers of the law boiled down to these two issues. They wanted recognition and they were greedy. John Ortenberg in his book calls this the approval addiction. We all have it. Uh, We crave to be recognized, crave to be noticed. We We live with this uh, nagging sense that we are not good enough. And if only people would recognize us for what we contribute, then we would feel better. Like most addictions, we go to great lengths to solve the issue. Um, In the Pharisees' case, this is the list that Jesus put out on them. They parade about in flowing robes. They wanna be greeted. Noticed in the public, they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the banquet halls, they, they cheat widows, that's not, and then they pray long prayers for show. Look at me, I'm important. It's not a new thing, this craving of recognition. The teachers of the law were all about impressing people, yet it stands in such a huge contrast to the turning point in the book of Mark that we covered in chapter 8, where Jesus set the standard for his followers. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will save it. William Barclay told a story of a very quiet and very skillful and qualified man who was promoted to a new head position In another region and it was back in the old days and when he arrived at his new place of work nobody recognized him he was mistaken he looked so common and was so unassuming that he was mistaken for kitchen help and so he was ordered to go to the kitchen and without a word he went to work as he was told washing dishes and peeling potatoes and so forth It was only uh, when the authorities arrived uh, several weeks later that the mistake was discovered and this quiet man assumed his true position. Yeah. How beautiful is that? The, The man who comes to Christ must check his ego at the door, right? He's the king. I'm not. And so now we have these issues that we all face or most of us face in this room. The issue of recognition, I would like to be noticed and it doesn't help with all the social media opportunities that we have. The Instagram, the Facebook, the TikTok, the Twitter, they're designed to put your brand out there to be seen. Sometimes in business you wanna do that to promote your product, right? You wanna promote your business but then there are other reasons to put yourself out there too. The approval addiction is so intense that it's amazing. We want people to know what we had for dinner last night. We want people to know that. And it's like you step back and go, wow, why why are we like that? Uh, Here's a secret that can liberate you from the approval addiction. A secret that the widow seemed to know, but the leaders did not seem to know. The secret is you do not go unnoticed. The one who matters most knows what you're about. The unnamed widow with the smallest offering got the attention of Jesus. How did did that happen? Jesus chose a seat. Hey, get this, you guys. Jesus chose the seat where he could watch people drop their offerings into the collection box. That's awkward. How about one of you uh, get a step ladder and go put it out there at the collection right there on the table and just sit up high and just watch people as they enter and exit and they drop their offering into the basket out there. Is that all right with you? Any, any problem with that? It's like, ew, just uncomfortable, right? Most of us would, in, would consider this an invasion of our privacy, but deal with it. There sat Jesus watching people put their offerings into these big containers to sustain the work of the temple. Verse 41 says he watched many rich people put in large amounts. He did not condemn them. He just didn't say anything about it. He just watched. And those kind of big financial gifts are often publicized because they do amazing things. They fund things like hospital wings, you know, and orphanages and wonderful works. There was a guy named Cornelius Vanderbilt uh, who became one of the wealthiest Americans in the 19th century. He made his money around New York City, first in steamships and then in railroads, Uh, He was a fierce and ruthless competitor and he kept most of his money to himself. He had a fortune, but it wasn't until the very end of his life that he decided he would give $1 million to establish Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. His gift was given in 1873, towards the end of his life, and it's still honored today and of course the university still bears his name. Those kind of big gifts get attention. But for some reason, Jesus saw all the gifts being given and he remained silent. I would like to commend you and the church at large. Uh, Christian giving, according to a recent Barna survey, Christian giving accounts for 70% of all donations so far in this calendar year, according to Barna. Uh, that's over $300 billion and counting that Christians have given this year. Uh, that means that they outgave the United States government in addressing global poverty. That's you guys doing that. It's commendable. Well done. Whatever view the critics have of the church, it's still a blessing to the world. and still helping in ways that we don't even know. Anyway, there said Jesus, watching all these contributions quietly. The widow approached the collection box. Apparently, by the way she was dressed, Mark tells us that she was poor. You have to figure that out yourself. I don't know how she looked, but they knew right away her situation. She put in the smallest coins in circulation, now, I read this and I find it hard to believe, but I wanted to share it with you. Mr. Black in his commentary on the book of Mark says this. A denarius was worth a man's wages for one day. Two coins that she put in were worth one 144th of a denarius. Uh, I don't know how that was figured, but... You probably don't care much about the pennies in your ashtray in your car. You probably just there. They're under the seat. They're just pennies, right? In our culture, pennies are almost worthless. In fact, I'll tell you something that'll probably really uh, burn your toast. It, it currently costs two cents to make a penny in our culture, and it takes seven cents to make a nickel. So, based on what the U.S. Mint has reported. Taxpayers lost about $85 million last year making pennies and they lost about $33 million making nickels. It's a losing proposition, but we still make them and there, have a nice day. Um, it's hard for us to think of something that is a fraction of a penny, right? Uh, we leave pennies in cups for the next customer to make the correct change, and if we drop it out the window going through the drive-through where it goes underneath the seat. It's like, "Ah, it's okay. We'll maybe find it next summer. You know, Jesus calls his disciples to him. It's crowded. There's lots of foot traffic, but it is a teachable moment. Nobody noticed this woman or her offering except Jesus. And I say that to tell you that your, your effort, your value, your gift, you. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. That means you. Proverbs fifteen three says the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, beholding the evil and the good. He sees it all. And you remember the great words from Psalm one thirty nine one through four. Oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You know it completely, O Lord. So he knows you. He knows what you're going to say next. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your thoughts. He knows that you give. He knows why you give. He knows how much you give. He knows all of that. And he says, I tell you the truth. This widow has put in more than all the others. No, she didn't, because we saw what she put in, and we saw what they put in, and they put in large offerings, and she put in a fraction of a penny. So what are you talking about? Well, God measures the gift by the sacrifice, not by the amount of the gift. The other givers reserved some of their wealth. They held it back. But this girl put in everything she had. Well, that's a new way to look at... uh, Uh, Giving Tuesday She was commended not because of what she gave But because of what she Had left And she had nothing left She gave all she had to live on Uh, When you give money It's very reckless of you You know that right There's no guarantee of anything Other than you gave the money I know there's a promise It's out there the Lord will bless those. If you're generous with others, you you will be blessed yourself. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed, Proverbs says. But there's a recklessness to it. You're gonna give. And you're gonna maybe get a blessing back two years from now that you don't recognize as connected with what you gave. There's no there's no Guaranteed, giving has a recklessness to it. This woman, I mean, by all rights, you guys, she should have kept half of one of those pennies back, right? She should have kept something back. No one would have blamed her. Man, she's risky. She's dangerous. She's radical. She walked away saying, you got it all. And I'm hopeful, hopeful that I'll get my daily bread tomorrow. I'll trust that God will provide. Um, We've done that at camp sometimes when we try to ask the kids to raise an offering for a mission. And uh, we say, it's Friday. You're going to go home tomorrow. Uh, The canteen will be open this afternoon. But probably you could go without it if you wanted to. It's your choice. We'll leave the canteen open. You can do whatever you want. But you're probably going to get some money when you get home. You probably have some money home. Why not consider this? Why not trust the Lord? Why not just empty your purse, your wallet today. You have six dollars left. Why not give it all and see how see how that works? And it's a big stretch for everybody because you always want a little walking around money, right? You always want a little something in your pocket. That's what you've been taught. Nobody's gonna rescue you from your poverty. You got to take care of yourself. This girl gave it all. She had no guarantee of what was going to happen this afternoon or tonight or tomorrow. She just gave it all. There's a recklessness to it. Well, the smallest gift given with the right motive gains the applause of heaven. The Lord sees the heart. You remember the story of Samuel looking for a new king. You know, he saw the firstborn son of Jesse and he says, there's the one. He's the king. And the Lord reminded him, the Lord doesn't look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. So summarizing this radical generosity from this anonymous woman far exceeded the others and only the Lord knew it. Uh, Many years ago when Deb and I were in Corning, New York we had organized a miracle offering. We were trying to raise a big offering to help start and raise up a big a a new building to meet in at that from that point we had been meeting in a bank building for a long time and we had some property now we're going to try to take the next step it was a big decision and we looked at each other wondering how can we do it I got to go and talk with Every family in the church don't think that was a great thing because there weren't that very many families in the church at that time. I went to Gary's house. Gary lived out on Mormon Hollow Road up in the hills in a trailer. His wife and three kids worked in a factory, living week to week on the paycheck Um, I just visited with him and said, let's pray together about what we can do together to commit to the Lord and raise this miracle offering and see what he's going to do with it. And Gary said, I know what I'm going to do just a minute. And he disappeared down the hall and came back. Sorry if this is offensive to you, but this is how it was. This is the story. He came back with a weapon in his hand. No, he was not going to shoot me for... Offering or for the offering idea, this was a very nice weapon that had been handed to him from his father. It was his prized possession. Hunting was a, and still is a very big deal in that community. Three kids, a wife, week to week paycheck. I get goosebumps right now standing here in front of you when Gary said. I'm going to sell this, I'm going to sell this, and I'm going to give it to the Lord's work. And I don't even remember if I had any words. Probably there was a, a lump in my throat. That kind of radical generosity gets the applause of heaven, as we see in our story today. You know the words of Jesus, where your treasure is, there's your heart also. What I saw in Gary after that was pretty amazing. He sold that item, gave the money to the Lord's work, and he himself, he himself was changed. It was a huge moment in his life. His heart was in the right place, and he had a great joy that he was participating in some, something for the kingdom. And he gave it out of the priority of honoring the Lord, and he gave it out of gratitude for all that he has. As you read this, you guys, Jesus doesn't condemn the other offerings at all. He doesn't condemn them. He notices them. He simply complimented the widow's offering. He notices things like that. He notices you. He knows what you do. You don't have to brag about it. He knows. The small, simple things like saying thank you or writing a thank you note. He knows that. Or holding a door for someone. Or Slowing down to talk to somebody and stop being in such a hurry. I know it seems insignificant in the eyes of the world, but the Almighty sees that. He sees what you're doing. And notice that Jesus did not call the widow to the front stop everything. Hey, you come back here. I need need to say something. No, he just let her go on her way. He kept her little secret. It was between him and her. Now back to Matthew 6 for a second. Jesus repeats the same promise three times. Father, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He did not give you a guarantee or a timing on that. of When he's going to reward you, how or where. But our father who is unseen takes notice and will provide for you. And so this woman found the secret approval of God was sweeter than the public approval of men. Between her and him, there was a sweet relationship. And I will just tell you that it's uncomfortable for me to be up front most every Sunday. It's really, uh, it comes with the territory I know. I'll just tell you straight up, most of the work in God's kingdom is done off stage. Most of the work in God's kingdom is done quietly, behind the scenes. Sometimes we make a big splash and make the news, but most of the time only God sees what you've done. Only he knows. And he likes it that way. And he's applauding. He's applauding. He's seen. He's proud of you. He knows that some of you are driving an older car so that you can give more money to the mission fund. He knows that. He knows that some of you stopped to help a stranded driver and never took a penny and never left your name. He knows that. He knows that you prepared food and dropped it off and never spoke about it. You just did it. And you keep doing it. He knows that you sent a gift card in the mail to that certain person with no return address and no signature. Just dropped it in the mail. He knows that you mowed your neighbor's lawn and kept it to yourself. He knows that you donated to a kingdom cause on Giving Tuesday anonymously. He saw you do that. He knows that you pray. He knows that you go without. He knows that you put other people in front of yourself. And it's you and it's the Lord keeping the secret. And it's a great adventure trying to be his servant in a world that is addicted to attention. You gain the applause of heaven. He's watching. He's looking at his heart. And he knows. And in this world, you will be anonymous. And you will be unthanked. And you will be unrecognized and unnoticed most of the time. But I steal this line from Max Lucado. You will gain the applause of heaven. And that is a sweet, sweet thing to get. I need to invite the worship team up as I finish up here. The widow was poor in money, but she was also poor in another way. She was poor in spirit. It's a beautiful thing. The Lord loves the poor in spirit character. It means that I know that on my best day, I don't measure up. On my best day, I don't deserve anything. That I'm spiritually bankrupt. Uh, Spiritually speaking, my cupboards are empty and my pockets are empty. And I don't demand justice for myself because I know a just judge would condemn me for who I am and what I've done. I know what I deserve. I don't brag about my goodness. (laughs) Begging for mercy is where I'm at. That's the poor in spirit. We ask God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So when we confess our sins and our need for God, he gives us a total pardon. (laughs) You're free. You're forgiven. It's called grace. And it is a privilege for me on behalf of the church and behalf of the kingdom of God to offer this grace, this gift to you from one beggar to another. You need the Lord in your life, and he would love to come and enter it.